turn this on. Father, thank you for this day, for all of your love for us, your proven love displayed through the sacrifice of your Son, Jesus Christ, on our behalf. We thank you, Lord, as we gather here today to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, come closer to you, to know you better, to find out what pleases you, as that says in Ephesians 5.10, and to grow closer to you. Help us to take this word and cause it to take root and bear fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So to be spiritually minded, I heard a I heard a dumb pastor one time. I'm sure when I see the Lord, I'm going to get in trouble for all the things I say about his <laughs> his employees, you know, because we're not supposed to do that. So I repent. But I heard this dumb pastor one time. He said, uh, he said, you know, some of you are so spiritually minded, you're no earthly good. You ever heard that comment? It's pretty, you know, you hear it. But I, 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 I realize how ridiculous that is. I know what he means. There's some people that they, you know, used to hear stories like a wife would go to church and, and uh, she'd get saved and, and start going to church all the time and her husband's still out there in the world and kind of against it all. And uh, next thing you know, she stops, stops doing everything at home that she used to do. She just goes to church. She doesn't cook or clean or do anything. It's like, it's like, wait a minute. That's not, you know, she she thinks she's being spiritually minded. Maybe maybe that's what he's talking about. But that's not a good witness and that's not a good way to draw that man into church, right? Even vice versa or whatever. But, but the truth is, the Bible says in Romans 8, 6, to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So that's really a silly statement to say that someone's so spiritually minded, they're no earthly good. Because if you're truly spiritually minded, biblically wise, then you're going to be awesome. You're going to have a spirit of excellence. You're going to succeed in life. And you're going to help others to know the Lord too. And you're going to walk in peace and that's uh, that's the goal, I think. People just want peace. They might think they want all sorts of things in this world, but what they really want is just some peace. I, you know, I preach that message a bunch of times about how the old folks just used to ask for a little peace when you ask them what they want for their birthday or for Christmas. And I, tell, I always say, I wish I knew now, then what I know now because I would tell them where that is available through Jesus Christ. So, what is it to live life after the Spirit? That's what we're called to do. Romans 8, 6, that same scripture in the NIV says, The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. So, how is it that we can be governed by the Spirit? I'll say this, it's simply just to have your mind stayed on on the Lord. To, To meditate on His life his teachings, his word, and to be in agreement with those things and apply them to your life as best you can. Being led by his peace instead of the lies and the deceptions of the enemy 
and the cares of the world. But you have to understand the new covenant and what's been provided by the grace of God in order to truly walk in love and peace that Jesus has provided. Amen? Amen. A lot, a lot of people in this world just take this book and they lump it all together. And if you do that without rightly dividing the word into covenants, you'll be totally confused. And you'll think that this just is a book of uh, yeah, do's and don'ts. And then you'll see the opposite in other places. And so you'll think it's con- it contradicts itself all the time. It doesn't. My wife is, uh, you know, after last week's message and encouraging everybody to read through the Bible every year, She's doing that. And man, she just, every every morning, she's like telling me, oh, I don't like these people with these old, <laughs> this old testament, you know. I don't like all this stuff and how the man would take all these different women and they'd tell, you know, like Sarah told uh, Abraham to go sleep with her servant and all that. I said, yeah. I said, you know, that was never God's will, though. That uh, That was never God's will. They did that. It shows you, if anything, um, how how merciful and patient God is, you know. And so she goes, oh, that's right, that's right. I said, see, the whole you can take the whole Old Testament, and really you can learn a lot about God. He's never changed. He's very holy, obviously. And just like that song, you know, we're standing on holy ground. You know, in the Old Covenant, nobody could stand on holy ground. Remember the one... One priest a year went into the Holy of Holies and he had a rope tied around his leg in case he had sin and they'd pull him out dead if he did. Nobody else could go in there. Now we can run boldly right to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find favor in the time of need. That's amazing. And so the old covenant should make us so thankful for the new. For what Christ has endured for us and and what he bought for us with his precious blood, because otherwise we'd be in a sad situation. Second Timothy, if you look in the second chapter of Second Timothy, we're going to look at just the first eight verses today. Second chapter of Second Timothy. All those, all those T's in the back. Timothy, Titus. First and Second Thessalonians. There's like five. T's in a row. Second Timothy chapter two. Starting at the first verse, right. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. Now, what does that mean? <laughs> He's writing to Timothy, someone he thought very highly of. This is his last letter to Timothy. A young preacher who really had a lot of uh, hardships to overcome. He was young and, and he was uh, preaching to a lot of hardheads. And Paul was giving him some instruction. He tells him, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. Most Christians aren't strong in grace. You know why? Because most Christians don't even understand grace. 
people don't they don't associate grace with being strong. Think about that for a second. Be strong in the grace that is in Jesus. Most people don't even think when they think of grace, the last thing they think of is strength. They think of grace as being weak, passive, kind of spineless attribute. Truth be known, but that's not the case at all. Grace, in its simplest terms, is God's supernatural ability available to all believers on an unearned, undeserved, and unmerited basis. This is God's, it's called dunamis power. The same word from where we get dynamite. And it's anything but weak. Our real strength is in completely trusting God's grace and not our own might. I was just reading a, uh, an account today from a, from a, a pastor overseas who, who said he was, he was blown away in a, in a happy way. Someone came to him from his congregation and told him that they are new to the church, newish, and and they had heard him preach on how through Christ everything that we need and physically, mentally, emotionally, financially, all been provided through the atonement of, of Jesus Christ. And he really and he and he always encourages them, as I do, to meditate on these truths until they become real to you, you know? That's revelation. You know, you can you can know the logos, you can know the word. And quote it and teach it. And then one day, pow, the light goes on and you're like, I got it, you know. I'll never forget the day the algebra light went on for me in school. I just always remember that day. I hated going to school. I was at a point I was just devastated and miserable because I didn't get it. And then one day I did. And it changed everything. So, But that's how it is with the Word of God many times. God will download something by His Spirit, and you will just, it's just yours then. You know, you might hear me preach something, and you might go on down in, in your calling, and you start preaching, and you might preach some of the same stuff uh, from this message, for instance, ten times in churches all over the world to millions of people. And then one day, you'll stop giving me the credit for it. You know, oh, Pastor Will, I heard Pastor Will say, because it become. <coughs> Revelation knowledge to you. The light. It's like I get it. I, I am that. I, I understand it. I walk in this. And that's when it's really effective to minister things that have been a blessing to your life. Because you have more passion and zeal regarding those things. But anyway, the story that I was recounting was this this guy. All he did, you would think he had, he had back problems. And he had severe back pain in his, in his mid-back for a while and he started hearing these truths and so you hear a lot of stories about people quoting healing scriptures you know by jesus stripes i am healed and and uh, i will i will not die but live and proclaim the works of the lord and all these good things that uh, that we tell say to to meditate on but all the only scripture he meditated on was psalm 23 and the first verse the lord is my shepherd i shall not want 
And as he meditated on that and meditated on it and said it 50, 100 times to himself, he began to see the reality of the Lord providing everything that we needed and that he would never be in want. He would never be in need, not because of his own effort to provide, but because of what Jesus has already provided for him and his healing came. And I thought that was so awesome because it's really, it's really that simple, you know, and I, and I know it can be frustrating when we're trying and we can't quite get there, but it really is, it's no different than what we just talked about right there. Zechariah 4, 6 says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. More of us. Christians have failed because of trusting in ourselves and our own abilities and not trusting in the Lord and His grace. Matter of fact, trust in self is the beginning of sin. You realize that? Adam and Eve's original sin, what happened? They stopped completely relying on God and started to lean on their own understanding. John does a song about that from Proverbs 3, 5, don't you? We're not to lean on our own understanding, are we? Trust in the Lord in all our ways. Here's the deal. If you want to be faithful and truly successful as Christians, then we have to learn to be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. Just like Tom, I mean, just like Paul told Timothy 2,000 years ago. And and we're going to continue if you allow me and you work with me and you listen and you apply these things. We're going to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. And the knowledge of Jesus comes through the word of God and the help of the Holy Spirit. So let's continue reading there in Second Timothy, the second chapter. The third verse says, he tells Timothy, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving, verse 4, as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Huh. That's pretty interesting. I remember a quote from John F. Kennedy. He said, let us not seek the Republican answer or the Democrat answer, but the right answer. Let us not seek to fix the blame for the past. Let us accept our own responsibility for the future. I always like that. And I just wish that uh, more people thought that way. First, in certain ways, we need to have the attitude of a soldier, just like Paul's talking about there in verse 3. Like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. A soldier has a different attitude than a civilian does, doesn't he? About his work, anyway. He has commitment. They don't have to decide whether or not they're going to obey a command. They just do it. <laughs> or there's, there are big consequences. GI stands for government issue. <laughs> if you're in the army, you are government issue, right? So their lives are not their own. 
So I think this is a very good example that, that Paul gave to Timothy. But we have to see it on a spiritual level. How does a soldier deal with, with this level of commitment? Just, just obeying, just doing what he's told to do without any thought or decision-making process. I just wrote down five things because I love the number five because that's the number for grace. The first thing is he needs to believe in a cause that's more important than himself. That's the Christian life. That allows him to, to put up with a lot of the hardships for the cause that he believes in and is willing to die for. They have to love something more than themselves to be a good soldier. And that is how we Christians are described in Revelation 12, verse 11. It says, they love not their lives unto the death. And the second thing is that this soldier has to focus on the benefits rather than the costs. And I need you to think about that for a minute. Soldiers, they're constantly, just like anyone, they're thinking about home, they're thinking about their loved ones and how their sacrifices are helping those they love, hopefully their, their countrymen. But they're looking at the future with hope instead of focusing on their present fear. And that's a positive thing. In the same way, Jesus endured the cross because of the joy that was set before him, didn't he? He saw you and he saw me. And the prospect of a relationship with us forever. And because of that, he endured the shame of the cross. And I'm thankful. I know that. The third thing is that a soldier isn't sensitive about their own feelings. <laughs> this is a big one in our culture today. Where everyone that you can spend $50,000 a year to skin, send a kid off to make sure he learns not to miss an opportunity to be offended. <laughs> at anything. and everything. And it's really sad. But these soldiers, if we're using that example like Paul did with Timothy, they're not worried about their own feelings. They're hardened towards their own feelings. Because feelings can be misleading. They're not worried about their needs either because they know they're going to be provided for. They sacrifice their feelings and their needs for the greater cause. If you had psychologists and psychiatrists out there on the battlefield, it would be a disaster, wouldn't it? They'd have all the soldiers so focused on their feelings and their emotions that they wouldn't be any good to fight anybody. <laughs> but the next thing is they recognize their hardships are only temporary. And that's something that we need to realize with God we have to have eternal perspective you know there's a scripture in 2nd Corinthians the 4th chapter the 17th verse says for our light affliction which is but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory 
And then in Psalm 30, verse 5, the one that I love says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. With the Lord, there's always something to look forward to. There's always hope. And the more you practice His presence and you grow in your relationship and you make a record of His track record of faithfulness and goodness in your life, when you go through these valleys of darkness and hardship in your lives, you'll take comfort in knowing I've been here before. Not this exact thing maybe, but I've struggled and I've suffered before. And there's joy coming in the morning. Maybe not by the clock, you know, but... Soon, there is times of refreshing that are available and God is going to make sure that that happens for you if you keep your mind on Him. I will keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on me because He loves me. Isaiah 26, 3. And the fifth thing is that soldiers have their service to their call first. Above all other things. Like I said, they have families. They have homes. Cars. Kids. All the things that anyone else would have. But they drop them at a moment's notice to answer the call. To get deployed. Take off halfway around the world. Nobody asks asks questions. The wife just starts packing the bag. She's used to it. She knows he's got to go. They aren't entangled or entwined by the affairs of this life. And that's not an easy thing to do. It takes faith. Similarly, this is verse 5. Anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victors. He switched from a soldier now to an athlete. He's using all these great analogies. Similarly... Anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. So just like the soldier has commitment, the athlete has discipline. I always think about the story. There was some famous golfer, and I, I never can get it right which one he was, but he always told the story about a kid who walked up to him one day when he was... Uh, on the the driving range, and he said, man, I wish I could hit a golf ball like that. He says, no, you don't. If you did, you would. And he says, you know how how lucky I am to be able to do this? My luck came from hitting 2,000 golf balls a day for 15 years. And the same can happen for you. It's just about the discipline, that spirit of excellence. To strive to be better and to succeed. Verse 6, the hard-working farmer. Now he goes from a, from a soldier to an athlete to the farmer. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. This farmer has patience. And we need the work ethic and the patience of a farmer too. There is, with God, the guaranteed harvest is real. But there's seed, there's time, and then there's a harvest. And God always 
provides a harvest for those who sow expecting a return or harvest. There are a lot of religious-minded folks who give, and they may give their tithe and, and offerings, and who knows? They may It may add up to 30% or so, like it did in the Old Covenant. But sometimes they're struggling, and if I ever get a chance to sit long enough and minister to someone like that, which usually a preacher like me will not, because a, a, a religious person who's been faithful in their denominational setting for 30, 40 years, they will never hear anything from somebody like me. And that pride is what's keeping them from receiving because they're sowing out of a sense of duty. And they think that their service has earned them something with God. And it hasn't. It hasn't earned them anything. And if they don't apply faith to that seed, they may never see that harvest. Anyway, that's another story for another day. (laughs) But we need to sow with expectancy because there is seed and time and harvest. You can't speed up the process either, can you? You ever, I always used to keep a big garden about 30 by 15 and, and thankfully I have a nice big backyard and we just row the hose and hoe the rows and, and uh, plant all kind of cool stuff back there. I did it in Dallas too. And I always told people in, after the first few years of my ministry that I learned more in that garden about God and from God than I did from the Word. And that, that might be an overstatement, but I, I sure have learned a lot in the garden about God. And it's a, it's a real blessing. I encourage everybody to get their hands in the dirt. But if you ever, if you ever thought about speeding up the process with, with seed, time, and harvest, go dig up your potatoes to see if they're ready. <laughs> Before they're ready and see, if you, see how much luck you have <laughs> keeping them growing like that. Well, you know, you can't look and see and still call it faith. <laughs> can't speed up the process so anyway just to, to summarize this soldier has great commitment just as we are to have toward our calling and the athlete his discipline and the farmer's patience all these things that Paul used to describe uh, this Christian life to Timothy and to encourage him now watch this we're going to come Full circle. So how do we do all of this? I, you say, I want all of this myself. That's great. But how can I have the commitment and the discipline and the patience required to run the race and finish well for God as He's asked us to do and how, of course, we all want to do that love the Lord? Well, look at verse 7. Reflect on what I'm saying, he told Timothy. For the Lord will give you insight into all this. And that's a fact. You might think I'm passing the buck, but I don't have anything that's of my own. The Lord will give you insight. If you really want to know about these things, think about it. Talk about it to the Lord. Go to your prayer closet your meeting place with God and sit and reflect on these things as you're going through your day-to-day work and, uh, and all the things that you have to do in life. I read a book one time that said, get up and pray. 
In other words, don't just pray when you're kneeling in, in, for 45 seconds in the morning or whatever. Get up and continue to pray as you go all the time and meditate. Think on the Lord. Magnify the Lord in your life and put Him center place in your life. Anyway, Paul says, reflect on what I'm saying for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Verse 8, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. Now, this is a man of great faith. You realize then that this is being written, this amazing letter to encourage this young pastor halfway across the the land in which they lived. And he's sitting there chained in prison himself. And he's calling these things light and momentary afflictions and It wasn't long before they lopped his head off. And he knew it was coming. Not a big thing. Matter of fact, he went back and forth. He's like, I don't know what I want more. To get this over with and go be with the Lord or to stay and help you. You know, because both are beneficial. (laughs) If you ever get to that place, and you can, it's a real thing. That kind of relationship with the Lord, it's like... That death has lost its sting. Nothing can scare you. The devil has no inroads into your, into your mind. No fear can come upon you. It's like, I'm going to kill you. Awesome. I get to go be with the Lord. Now I'm going to let you live. Cool, I got work to do for the Lord. <laughs> That's exactly what Paul was saying. <laughs> and we can all be like that. We don't ha- he didn't have anything that we don't have. You know what? Neither did Jesus. Jesus is God and was God. But when he came here, he he set aside all of his godly privileges and became just like us because it had to be a man, a kinsman redeemer, Jeremiah calls it, to get back what we had given away in the garden. And so that's why you see Jesus' ministry is only three and a half years. For 30 years, he did what y'all are doing. He prepared, and then he finally received that dunamis, that dynamite supernatural ability and power when his cousin baptized him in the Jordan, and at the same time, he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He never did a miracle before that. So all these stories about Jesus running around as a kid and... Say, so, hey, Jesus, will you get down the, the, the plates from the top shelf? Sure, there you go. No, that didn't happen. He was obedient. He learned everything. He had to learn how to walk and talk. And, you know, they, his, his, his brothers and sisters, there was a lot of them. They saw him with, you know, they saw him do things just like normal people do. They heard him burp. They saw him eat. They, you know, were with him. That's why none of them really believed in him. His brothers tried to get him killed. Now, once they saw him raised from the dead, they all believed. <laughs> and so we won't take anything from them. It would have, people say, man, I wish I could have walked with Jesus. No, it would have been very hard. Hard to be his believers. In, in, in John chapter 6, He had called his disciples and he had tons of followers following him. And that's the day he decided. And now listen, this is before communion. Nobody knew what it was. And he tells these people, 
you know, he had been teaching some things, and, and uh, the, uh, the teachers, uh, the, the religious leaders of the day, knew he was referring to them in a derogatory way. And some of his disciples came and said, you know, that's offensive what you were saying to them. He said, so? He said... <laughs> And so instead of trying to make it better, he just, he chimes up and he says, I tell you what, unless y'all eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't have any part in me. And they actually thought he was talking about cannibalism and he didn't bother to explain himself. He did things like that a lot. There are a lot of people serving a God of their imagination, a Jesus of their imagination, they think of the grace of God as this limp-wristed stuff I was talking about earlier. They remember the woman caught in adultery and how Jesus defended her and how he said, you without sin cast the first stone. And how when all of those accusers left, he said, neither do I condemn you. That's what they remember. They forget that he said, go and sin no more. <gasps> How dare you judge me saying that was sin? Listen, he never was in the presence of sin without calling it out. But he, the world doesn't understand us because they don't understand that we can love, love, love somebody so desperately and passionately and hate what they're doing with their life and separate those two things. That's the ability, the supernatural ability that we have as Christians. The world doesn't understand it. They say, you hate that. You hate me because that's who I am. No, it's not, sweetie. God didn't create you that way. You can be free. And I love you anyway. I don't understand that. This is my gospel for which I'm suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. Full circle. What God showed me is this. This is the insight. The very thing that enabled Paul to run his race so well and stay so focused was his trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He put everything. He was all in. And so, he was unhindered. He was sold out for the gospel. His faith in the good news made him strong in the grace of God. If God said it, that settled it. He believed it. And nobody could talk him out of it. Which in turn supplied all of the commitment the discipline and the patience that he would ever need for this life and would bring him a crown of glory in the next. Amen? Amen. Remember Moses? When he went and tried it his way at 40 years old, everything looked perfect. He'd been brought up in... Pharaoh's house, he had power, he was a great general, but he was a Hebrew and he had read the prophecies and man, it looked like the perfect timing for him to do his thing. And it wasn't. 
he thought it was, and he went out on his own and tried it and uh, had to leave and spent 40 years out there in the desert getting Moses out of Moses. And then God tells him, pick that snake up by the tail. Throw down that staff. Became a snake. And he said, pick it up by the tail. Moses ran. <laughs> but he came back, didn't he? He came back because Moses had tried it his way. Just like most of us. He had tried and failed. And I think that by this time, he was 80 now. He was determined He knew that he had a calling from God and he was determined to fulfill it. And if God gave him another chance, he was going to do it his way, God's way, no matter what. And grabbing a snake by the tail is a dumb thing. But when God said it, that settled it. So even though it scared him a little bit to hear what God wanted him to do initially, he came back and he picked that snake up by the tail. And it became a staff again. And I think that's a good lesson for the rest of us. Just to make up our minds that if God said it, that settles it. I'm going to do it His way. You know, I'm done, but... I have a friend that is a a minister. He's been doing this for forty or fifty years now. He's he's uh, he's he's got the potential to be seen by billions of people every day on television and the radio, and he's a he's an awesome guy. His son was raised from the dead. Wife too. He, uh, but there was a time when he was a young preacher, and he was about starved to death. And he heard this preacher on TV talking about faith and how everything had been provided through the grace of God, through the atonement, and. All we had to do was believe and receive. And he said, that doesn't work. I've tried it. It doesn't work. And right then, that preacher on TV said, don't tell me it doesn't work. It works. (laughs) And he said, well, it doesn't work. And I'm ready to quit. And the preacher said, don't quit. Stick with it. <laughs> and he goes, it's too late. I'm done with that. He had a little baby. They hadn't paid, been able to pay a single doctor bill. They had lost their home, had to move back in with his parents. And he had tried standing in faith for all these things. And he said, ah, it's, I, it's too late. And then the, for the third time, the preacher responded and said, it's not too late. It's never too late. <laughs> and he says, matter of fact, think about this. If you're going to go down anyway, 
Wouldn't you rather go down believing God, standing with God, trusting in Him and His Word than believing the devil? You've already given up anyway. Change your mind. Stand with God. Because the devil knows you pretty well. He's watched you your whole life. That's why people can go to these seances and all this kind of nonsense and they'll find somebody, conjure somebody up to talk to them and tell them things that this person that died knew. Because there's familiar spirits the devil has that they follow these people around their whole life. They know everything about them. They can talk just like them, tell you everything about them. That's a demon. People don't come back from the dead. But anyway, God is good. And he wants you to he wants you to consider these things that we've talked about today. I'm going to think about this stuff and meditate on it all week myself. How to be a good soldier for the Lord, good representative for him. Have the commitment of the soldier, the discipline of the athlete and the patience of the farmer. And I'm going to ask him to help me to apply these things and to understand them better in my own life. Y'all with me? Praise God. Father, thank you so much again for this time together with your children. And we thank you, Lord, that we feel like we've come to know you a little bit better. We're encouraged by your word and your truth. We know that you're with us. You'll never leave us or forsake us. And we know that it's a relationship. We have a part to play. There's commitment to be made. It requires patience. And we thank you, Lord, for the discipline to do these things. In Jesus' name, amen.